You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I'm Mike. My wife, Rochelle, is back there. She's the extremely tall, beautiful woman. And, um, and so we have six kids between the two of us. Um, we, they're with their other parent today, and so you don't get to meet them. I'm sad for that. that. We have a daughter, Zoe. She's, a, she's 14, going to be a freshman. Then we have five boys, and there's a whole bunch of ornery that goes on there and a whole bu- bunch of mischief. And so we enjoy life a lot, and, um, and, we, and we just do as much as we can outdoors and such. Um, I am a ch- church planner. Uh, we are in Alma, Nebraska. Our, our, we are called the Table Alma. We are an extension of the Table in, in Kearney, Nebraska. And um, our, our mission is to, is to restore relationships, restore relationships with God, and restore relationships with others. Our heart is to go out and to make a safe place for people to come together and understand that as we all sin and as we all struggle in life, there is a safe place for that. As you come, I won't be astonished by your sin. I won't be surprised by your sin because I, I, I myself struggle with sin in my life, and, um, but I'm not going to condone it. I'm not trying to fix anybody, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to make Jesus extremely, extremely famous in, in Alma and understand that his transforming power can make a difference in lives. And so that's in a nutshell. We're about three months in. We're doing a lot of support raising. We're gathering people, meeting in our home. It'll look a lot like what the well looked like just a few years ago. And so Joe and I are good buddies, and I appreciate everything he does there. I might be a little bit hot here if you want to turn me down just a little bit. That'd be awesome. So I'm going to jump right into the message, and we're going to talk about grace today. Um, new word. I like new words. I like new words in dictionaries and stuff like that. I like to look them up and figure out what's going on to kind of expand my vocabulary. And I'm going to give you some words from a dictionary. Now, understand this is not the most academic of all dictionaries in the world, okay? But I'm going to give you new words from a dictionary, and I want you to think about those words and think about what you think they might mean, then I'm going to give you the definition. The first word I have for you today is phonesia, P-H-O-N-E-S-I-A, phonesia. No, they give it away. All right, I will in a second. The phonesia is the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you are calling just as they answer. Ever done it? Where you're like, hi, and they're like, hi, and you're like, who, who is this? And like, um, you called me. <laughs> like, oh, phonesia, right? Okay, the next word, disconfect, disconfect, D-I-S-C-O-N-F-E-C-T, disconfect. Disconfect is the attempt to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. Very, very good try. The last one I have for you is intoxication, I-N-T-A-X-I-C-A-T-I-O-N, intoxication. Intoxication is the euphoria of getting a tax refund, which lasts until you realize it was your money to begin with, okay? (laughs) New words. New words have new meanings, and these new meanings, they get our attention, they're exciting to me, and they're exciting to others, but when it comes to old words... Old words that have long living meanings, we tend not to pay attention to them. We tend to kind of take them for granted and just kind of move on past them, and they become kind of an old hat. I want to ask you to approach a word this morning like you've never heard it before. Approach a word like 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 you've experienced it for the very first time, to receive it like it's new. Because many times we miss its power and its significance. And the word I want you to encounter today is grace. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I don't have anything marked, so if I get there before you, it's because I'm, I won. That's why. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And Hebrews, I'm going to read from the ESV version. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Many versions say, See to it that no one misses The grace of God. What would happen if we missed the grace of God? Where would you be personally if you missed the grace of God? Is my prayer today that you can miss a lot of things. You can miss so much that I talk about. You can miss so much in life. You can miss things that are really, really important. But don't miss this. Don't miss the grace of God. When grace is replaced... With a cheap substitute, things get toxic. When we replace grace with anything, 
It's a cheap substitute. And things get toxic. And like the verse says, bitterness starts to come inside of us. And we start to feel entitled. And we think we're owed something. This is true in my life. It's also true in our society. When we're talking about grace, we cannot talk about grace without talking about sin as well. Because it, it makes no difference. There's no reason to save anything if it wasn't lost. If there's nothing to be saved from, why do you save it? And so I think the first thing we need to understand in, in, as we're looking at the word grace, we need to understand that we've all failed. We all need grace. We have all sinned. Romans chapter 3 actually says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and that's a hard thing for some of us to look at because for us, many times when we look at sin, we're like, yeah, I sin, but, you know, sin is sin, right? There's no one sin that's worse than another sin. Sin is sin is sin, of course, unless you're talking about comparing my sin to your sin, then of course yours is worse than mine, right? Sin is sin, but we start comparing. But you know what we do, what it's called when you start comparing sin? That's called sin, okay? When you compare your sin to someone else, that's a sin. Sin is a sickness. It comes in, it gets a hold of us, and it starts to transform our lives from the inside out in a way we don't want to. Now, I have an issue. Right? My cousin is back here. We just talked about that. I think it's hereditary. But um, I have an issue with admitting when I'm sick, okay? It's a real problem for me in my life. Okay, if, if, like I have, if like I have a cold and stuff like that and I'm really getting a sinus infection, it's just because the allergies are bad, you know, it's no big deal, right? If I get the shakes and stuff like that, it's just, it's just because I spent too much time in the sun or something. You know, there's some way to explain things away. I'm really not sick. So much so, just a few years ago, I was having this pain, you know, like this pain in my, in my side a little bit. And my wife, in all of her infinite um, medical wisdom from Google, she, um, she diagnoses me with appendicitis. And I'm like, I don't have appendicitis. That's ridiculous, you know? And so I, I had, didn't have appendicitis. It just was true. And so um, I'm going through my day, and everything's getting worse, and it's getting more painful. And she's like, I'm telling you, you have appendicitis. I'm like, I don't have appendicitis. I don't even know where my appendix is at, but I'm pretty sure it's fine, okay? And so um, she finally loads me into a vehicle and says, we're going to Kearney. And we start getting out of town in Kearney, and me, being a man, um, was, was kind of not very kind and wasn't, wasn't very agreeable to this experience that she thought was good for me, okay? And so she gets upset enough that she turns around the vehicle to come back home, and I'm like, whew, got out of this. And then she turns into this truck stop that's just dirt, and there's also semis, and there's potholes like 76 feet deep and like 50 feet round, you know? And she starts coming through and going, so like, 5,800 miles an hour, boom, and we're like jumping all over these things, and, and my, my side is killing me. I mean, and I'm just doubled over in pain. It hurts so bad, and she stops at the stop sign. She goes, so, you got appendicitis? I said, nope. <laughs> and we went home. The next day, I went to work. Of course, I made it all the way through the night, no appendicitis. I went to work. I lasted about an hour. I had to go to the hospital. I had my appendix removed, but no, it's not a big deal. All right, so um, I have a hard time admitting when I'm sick. That's not an effective way to get better. It's not an effective way to get better in our life, and it's also not a very effective way to get better in our spiritual life. Grace is the same. Jean F. Leroux III, I just like to say his name. Okay, he has a quote. I don't know if you know who he is, but his name is Jean F. LaRue III. All right, but here's what he says. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. If the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. And I'm not saying that to point fingers. Because let me show you my story. This is going to be the story about, I'm going to take you back about four and a half years ago. And this is a story of Mike before and after. This is my mess and the mess that God is some, for some reason choosing to use. It's who Rochelle and I were. It's who we are. And it's what God is doing to move us into our future. See, I was a youth minister 
And um, I was a, the youth ministry was going great. I had a, had a youth center that also we had started, and it was going amazing. Um, things were just happening. Lives were being changed, and um, God was just moving in amazing ways. And life appeared in every way, shape, and form to be absolutely great. But there were areas in my life, if I'm going to be honest with you today, that I was not taking care of in the ways that God would want me to take care of. You know what I'm saying? And so I was just not looking over them. In specific, my marriage. I wasn't taking care of my marriage and my wife the way I should have. I continued to pour myself into this ministry that God had undoubtedly called me into. I had important issues that were not being handled in my, in my personal life. I had a fantastic team of, of people that worked with me at the youth center. When I came on, it was kind of like this little... Um, flea market, you know, when all youth center thing. And uh, things had changed. We had multiple staff that were hired, and things were going amazing. As a matter of fact, one of the staff members that came on staff with me was my right-hand person, and I thought the world of them. They were amazing. Um, they, we thought so much alike. We were able to dream together. We were able to challenge one another, encourage one another, and, and, and ministry was happening in ways that I had never experienced. It was so great. The problem with that was I kept getting closer to this person. The problem was this person was a woman, and the woman was not my wife. It started out as a relationship that was, that was very innocent, very good, very godly. No sexual morality issues at all, no hint of it going on. But we failed. I had an emotional affair with this woman that led to a, to a physical affair with her. And um, my world was rocked. All that we had said that we were and everything that I tried to be all my life, everything that I had been trying to be part of the kingdom of God for, it was all shaken. By our weak, pathetic, selfish, and very, very sinful choice, my life was shaken. That was a Monday Saturday of that very same week, Rochelle and I both went to our spouses and let them know about our moral and spiritual and physical sin, our failure. At that point, we separated from one another and, um, and, let, and decided we were going to focus on our families. I eventually took a job at Target in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, moved about five hours away, I moved there with my wife and my young children, and I had the hope and the desire and the prayer and the full intention of repairing my marriage. Rochelle and her husband also worked to restore their marriage, and we failed miserably. We both ended in divorce. I just remember my thoughts. How could this happen? How could I do this? My life came crumbling down in the most cruelest of ways. And there was no one to blame but us. We chose that sin. We failed. Our broken human nature was exposed in the most grotesque of ways. And I was devastated. We both were devastated. I had a choice. I had a choice right then whether I was going to turn to this depression that was coming upon me and this misery that I was finding myself in or if I was going to turn toward God. I chose to turn hard to God. And that was not the easy one. I had to, hard, I had to look at him in his face with my failure. I had to admit my extreme and utter weakness. I had to beg for mercy for the pride that had led me to such a place of disobedience. And I had to admit that I was a very, very broken man. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It didn't help me one bit at that moment. I didn't care less about what anyone else had done. My sin was so gross and so pathetic, and it separated me so far from everything I ever wanted to be. I was so angry. I looked at Romans 6, 23, and it says, For the wages of sin is death. And I said, Yes. From what I have done, I deserve hell. I do not deserve anything. 
I am worthless. I screwed it up. But for some reason, even though that's what I deserve, God doesn't finish the verse there, does he? For the wages of sin is death. You deserve this, but, and that's the biggest but in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I remember, and I've been been a youth minister forever. I had preached that passage a billion times. Exaggeration, but close. And I remember for the first time, I read that and I said, why would you do that? We're all infected with this thing called sin, aren't we? We've all been diagnosed, right? But then there's this thing called grace. And God says, my grace is greater than. Greater than what? Well, you fill in the blank. No matter what you've done or the effect or the pain that is caused on others or the failure in your life, God says, my grace is greater than. It's grace. It can't be earned. We try so hard to earn it. Do you know what you call talking about God and leaving grace out? That's called religion. Okay? That's called religion. When we miss grace, we get religion. I'm going to define religion as our attempt to earn God's favor by adhering to rules and regulations. In other words, I got this. God, God, you know what? I messed it up. I'll fix it. I'll fix it, God. I'll put it back together. And I'll do it your way, God. I'll do it by, by being a good person, by going to church, by reading my Bible, by, by trying to serve people, by giving money. All these, I, I got this, God. I will put it back together. I messed it up. I'll fix it. My friends, that's called religion. I don't like religion. As a matter of fact, organized religion kind of creeps me out, okay? And if I'm going to be honest, Jesus didn't really like religion either. Read Matthew chapter 23 sometime. I, I was sitting on the back, on the back patio um, and just having a drink with a, with a guy that I met. And we're sitting there and we're talking and stuff like that. I'd hang out, hung out with him a couple times. And I wanted to invite him to come to what we were doing at the table. And so I said, hey, hey, I'd like to invite you to come to. And he goes, just a second, let me stop you right there, Mike. I said, yeah, what's going on? He's like, is this, is this about some church thing? I'm like, well, I guess you'd call it that, yeah. He's like, well, let me just stop you. I don't want, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I'm an atheist. I said, cool. <laughs> he said, cool? I said, I'm an atheist. He said, you believe in God. I said, I always love to run into people that know what they believe and why they believe it. So I think that's cool. Huh. We start talking about other things. All of a sudden, he comes back. He brings it back around. But you, you did hear me say, I told you I was atheist, right? I'm like, yeah, that's what you said. That's what you believe, right? He goes, yeah, I'm an atheist. I'm like, all right, it's cool with me. I don't have a problem. He's like, well, you still want to hang out with me? I'm like, yeah. Me hanging out with you has nothing to do with what you believe. I said, I serve a God that, does it, that isn't judging you for what you believe. It isn't telling me to judge you for what you believe. I serve a God that wants to make your life better, to transform your life into something awesome. He's like, oh. I said, so yeah, I want a relationship with you, man, regardless of what you believe. We start going back, and he comes back around, brings it back around the third time. Do you want to know why I'm an atheist, Mike? I said, do you want to tell me why you're an atheist? He goes, yeah. I said, well, then yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, when I was a kid, we went to church, and my parents went to church, and my grandparents went to church. We were there all the time. And then the church, you've heard the story before, right? I tell you what, when I hear those stories, my blood boils, okay? And he starts going on on the hurt and legitimate, not, not some like pansy little, they weren't, they weren't giving me the best seat in the house or something, okay? This was legitimate hurts to him and his family. And he keeps going through his story, and I'm just listening and listening and listening, and I'm hurting. And he says these words, and because of that, I hate religion. I said, religion? 
We're talking about religion here? I said, I hate religion too. He goes, what? I said, yeah, let me tell you. And I started talking about the way the church has hurt me. And by the way, religion has turned my life into stupidity. I said, man, I hate that stuff. He sat there. He just looked at me dumbfounded. I don't think he'd ever met a preacher like me, okay? <laughs> and so we, we, get, we keep talking, and by the end of the conversation, we're talking about all sorts of different things, life and kids. He has kids and all sorts of things. We're talking about stuff, and he, he brings it back around again because I said, hey, you know what, man? I got I to get going home. I got to get home to the family and stuff, and he's like, hey, maybe I'm not an atheist. Maybe I just hate religion. And I said, you know what, buddy? I think you're a smart guy. And I think you're thinking through things. And I trust that's God working on your life. I'm not here to tell you what you believe and what you don't believe. But I can tell you, I'd go down that road if I were you. He's like, oh. I said, and I'm here to help you. And I said, I want you to know one other thing. Whether you believe in God or not, he loves you. I hate religion, guys. <laughs> I tell you what. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like what it does to people. Religion is what you are left with when you take grace out of the equation. And religion cannot save anybody. That deserves an amen. Even, amen. Yeah, that's right. It cannot deserve, it cannot, it cannot save anybody. Grace is greater than anything. And it's even greater than your secrets. It's greater than your secrets. Understanding grace is not best explained by words. As a matter of fact, grace really can't be defined in and of itself very well. It's explained best by experience. Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the word grace hundreds of times, hundreds and hundreds of times in the New Testament. You know how many times Jesus uses the word grace? Zero. Nilt. Niet. Okay? Um, Jesus doesn't use the word grace ever. Well, that's astounding, isn't it? Why wouldn't he use the word grace? Because he was grace. He brought grace. He exemplified and became grace. He was what we're looking for. He didn't need to tell us about grace and use the word grace because every story he told, every experience he lived, everything he lived out was grace in the flesh. There's a story of Jesus in the, in the New Testament, John chapter 4 to be specific. And as he's going along, he's going on his ministry, he has his disciples with him. He comes up to his place in Samaria. He shouldn't have been in Samaria. Jews don't go to Samaria. They didn't like Samaria. They avoided Samaria. He goes there. He sits down by this well. It's in the middle of the day. He's hot. He sits down and he sends his disciples to get something to eat, which I'm sure they weren't very happy about. Okay? And they're sitting there. And as he's sitting there, a woman comes up with her jar to get, to get some water out of this well. And Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, would you get me some water? And the woman says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a man. I'm a woman. We should not be talking, okay? And, and he's like, hey, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. And she looks at him and says, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. How are you going to get this water? He says, the water, Jesus says, the water you get quenches your thirst and makes you feel good that way. The water I get, if I gave it to you, you would never thirst again. And she says, hook me up with that spiritual Gatorade, okay? I need some of that stuff. I'm sick of carrying this bucket back and forth. Man, Jesus has her hook, line, and sinker, doesn't he? Man, you just think he's going to jump right in there and save her soul, right? I mean, you're just excited about this whole thing. And what's he do? He says, why don't you go get your husband? Now, this woman has a secret. And she tells the truth here, but she doesn't tell the whole truth, okay? She goes, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, it is true what you say. That's what it says in the Bible. I can say it that way. It is true what you say. You do not have a husband. As a matter of fact, you have five husbands, and you're sleeping with another dude. Oops. <laughs> Here the story gets a little bit weird, okay? And she goes, I can see you're a prophet. 
duh, okay? And, um, and they tell us that the Jews say that the Messiah is going to come somewhere along the line and we're going to be able to worship with them. We've never been able to worship with them before. And he says, and then when Messiah comes, he will make all things new. And the woman says in John chapter, and Jesus says in John chapter 4, I am who you're talking to, the person you're talking to, I am he, I am that Messiah. The woman drops her jar and goes home. The disciples come back. There's this conversation between Jesus and the disciples. We'll get over it in a little bit. We're turning to John chapter 4. So I'm going to pick up this, this a little bit. They go home, and the Samaritan woman goes back, and she says, come meet the man who knew everything about me, everything about my past, and still loves me. Now, there's a few questions we need to ask here. Why was the woman by herself getting water? In that day and age, going to get water as a woman would be the same as a woman going to the bathroom today. You never went by yourself, okay? You went in packs, okay? That's the way it worked, okay? Why was she by herself? And the other thing is why would you go and get water in the hottest part of the day? There's a reason for both of those, and they're the same reason. This woman was an outcast. She was not accepted. Everybody knew her story. They judged her by her story, and they alienated her or ostracized her because of her story. Her story was so bad, she had hurt numerous people in those communities, and nobody wanted anything to do with it. So she comes back and says, come here, the man who knew everything about me and still loves me. When she says that, there are people like, everything? She's like, yeah, everything. Like, whoa, <laughs> you know? This is a big deal. And the people come out there, and they listen to Jesus. And in verse 39, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans, chapter 4, John, verse 39, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, who's the him? Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. Here this woman, the outcast of all outcasts, now becomes the biggest advocate for the Savior of the world. They asked Jesus to stay for a while. He stays, and then verse 31, and many more believed because of his word. Now listen to verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And do you see grace in this story? Grace is greater than our secrets. God just used the most horrific sinner in the whole town to preach his gospel. Why would he choose her? Why? Because he knew her. No, he'd never met her before while he's on earth. I don't mean like that. He had knit that woman in her mother's womb. So many times we forget who Jesus was and is. This was his daughter. He loved her. And we miss that because we see the sin. We live in denial of our own lust. We live in denial of our own greed. We live in denial of our own pride and our own stinking, worthless selfishness. And we have these secrets that we keep so hard in here that no one can get to, right? No one's getting there. And if you get close enough, I will push you away because you're no longer safe. You're getting too close. We start comparing ourselves to other people. We start justifying what we do and why we do it. What's okay because. But here's the truth. Your secret is making you sick. And you think the worst thing that, you could ever, that could ever happen to you is someone finds out your secret. You're wrong. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you never let somebody know about your secret. Rochelle and I had secrets. It led to our failure. It led to our sin. I want you to understand that in an affair... An affair is usually, not always, usually not the problem. It is usually only the symptom of a much bigger problem inside of marriage. We want there to be a victim and a villain 
inside of a situation like this. We want somebody to be the victim and somebody to be the villain in the story. But the truth is there are two sides to every story. And if I'm being honest, when you're in a relationship with somebody, and no matter what kind of relationship that is, when the relationship goes sour, it's usually because there's two villains in that story. And if we're going to be honest, then both sides in that conflict will take full blame for their part in the failure of a division like this. I had secrets. And I was afraid, afraid, afraid to let them out. What would happen to my ministry? What would people think? What would they do if they knew that my wife and I were having marital issues? Nothing was really morally wrong. There were just things I didn't know how to handle with her. Things that were causing walls to be built. Separation to happen. For me to close off my heart and to harbor bitterness. I knew that we needed counseling. I was so afraid of the perception of other people. I mean, this was Mike, right? I mean, that's a pretty big deal, in my opinion, you know. What are they going to think if my marriage isn't one that's rock solid? How would this affect my ministry? You see, I had built this ministry. See, you hear my pride coming out here? Hear that? I mean, this is way it was. It was soaked. It was saturated with my pride. I had built this ministry on the idea. Let me, let me back up for a second. Let me hit that again. I was four years old the first time I said I wanted to be a preacher to my grandmother. I never changed my mind all my life. Every day of my life from the time I was four years old until that day was all about being who God wanted me to be as a minister. I did all the right things. I went to all the right colleges. I studied all the right things. I surrendered myself and engulfed myself in that life. That is who I knew I was supposed to be. Got it? No. <laughs> you see, I built this ministry on this idea that I have no huge moral failure in my life. Look at me. I have no huge moral failure. And if you can come to God, God can help you to be like me. I would never, ever said that out loud. But as I look back at my life, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're pathetic. You see, there were many secrets in my life of the ways I had been hurt in my previous marriage that I had harbored and become bitter and not forgiven. And that was wrong. There was this pride that I thought, I can handle this. I got this. Fake it till you make it, right? I tried it. It doesn't work. And also there was this arrogance pride and arrogance in my life that something like an affair, adultery, that'll never happen to me. That could never happen to me. I'm above that. And my marriage and my life as a minister was in a bad spot and I needed some dire, dire help. But I was so afraid of my secret, so protective of my weakness that I allowed my pride to lead my life and I didn't allow the truth and grace of God to, to lead me. My secret, this secret that I worked so hard to keep a secret, it led to my sin, and it led to my failure, and it led to the complete exposure of the very thing I was trying so hard to protect. My secret led to the exposure of my secret. <laughs> Gah, right? Here's the beautiful truth of grace. Here's the truth of grace you will find when your secret is told. God's grace is greater than your secret. I don't care what other people are going to say. God's grace is greater than your secret. 
You have no idea how freeing it is until it is brought from the darkness into the light. And I'm telling you the truth. You might have to grab that secret and drag it kicking and screaming for all it's worth like a child that wants a candy bar in a supermarket. You might have to drag it along and it might have to come screaming into that light. But do it. Bring it. Don't live with that any longer. Don't live with that secret eating you. I'm telling you, please don't. And it's leading you to a path that you do not want to go. This doesn't mean you have to come up here and spill your guts in front of all of us. You can. But there's a safe place for you. Maybe it's in your gospel community group. Maybe it's with one of the leaders here, Pastor Joe. Maybe it's with just a group of friends that love Jesus. There's a safe place for you. Boundaries are okay, but not walls, not secrets. Don't live with it. Bring what is dark into the light and discover that God's grace is greater than. And my story doesn't end there. I'm starting a ministry, right? Here's where the story gets hard for many people to hear. Rochelle and I got married. Yeah. We're the ones that had the affair. We're the ones that sinned. We're the ones that screwed up a lot of lives. And after our failed marriages, we're now together. I had to deal with that. Because a lot of people will say, and it came upon me, and I had, I had to test this with God. I had to figure out, was my forgiveness from God based on whether or not my marriage was restored? You know what I'm saying? My question actually would be, um, was me bearing married to, getting married to Rochelle after an affair greater than grace? Or was grace greater than my ridiculous sin? You see, us being together wasn't our plan. As a matter of fact, it was the exact opposite prayed and prayed and prayed for the other that their marriages would work. And here we are, husband and wife, six beautiful children, a blended family. Now we're starting a church in Alma, Nebraska. There's a lot of eyebrow raising going on, okay? All right? There's a lot of head turning. There's a lot of talk. And let me tell you why. Because there should be. Because I failed very publicly. God's word and his ministry is no joke. It should never be taken lightly, and our sin is bad. But to many people, they think I shouldn't be involved in any type of ministry like this. And let me tell you, there are many days I don't feel adequate of the word or worthy of God's grace. When I look behind me, in my wake, and I see the carnage of sin, and I see how real it is, and I see the wounds and the failure that is behind me, I feel so guilty. I'm so broken. And I'm not afraid to say this. I'm really sorry. There's at least one time every month that my wife and I break down in tears together. As we look back at our sin, we stop and we pray. We're so sorry for what we did to our ex-spouses. We wish no evil on any of them. We wish what's best. We look at our children We pray for the effect that all this is having on them. And I pray and I pray and I pray they never have to go through it. I stop and I can feel God's passion and his rage when he says he hates divorce. 
and have a much better understanding of why. I hate divorce. I hate what it's done. And the guilt. I beg God time and time again for forgiveness. We have sought godly counsel. We've worked through individual issues. We've taken ownership in our failed marriages and what led to them. And you just feel so awful. But then there's this word called grace. How in the world does grace fit into a messy story like mine? Into a messy story maybe like yours? When I stop and look at what I've done and then I see the sacrifice made for there to be grace, I'm just telling you, I want to scream out, I don't deserve it. Don't don't give that to me. I'm the last person that should get that. But God's grace is not surprised by my story. As a matter of fact, God's grace is used to encountering stories and failure just like mine and yours. We're not alone in our horrible, horrible failures here, guys. Go to the scriptures and look. David and Bathsheba, man, that was a bad one. He saw a woman, he liked her, he took her his own, killed the husband, and still stayed with her. And somehow afterwards, God and Jesus both refer to this man after after this affair and nastiness. They refer to him as a man after God's own heart. How can you call a guy like that a man after God's own heart? Read Psalm 51, you'll find out why that man was broken and repentant. And for some reason, God extended his grace there. The apostle Paul, he was going around saying, hey, I'm for God. I am for the God of the universe, the same God we serve. I'm for him. And so since I'm for him, I will kill Christians. And he's over killing Christians. And God comes up and he says, oh, silly, silly Paul, you're doing it the wrong way. You're supposed to make Christians, not kill them. You know? No, it's not what it's like. It was kind of like that. He's like, oh, dude, if you're for me, this is what you're supposed to do, not that. Now imagine how bad Paul felt afterwards. Right? His life is completely changed. He goes to the Gentiles. He starts saving people. But then still in Romans chapter 7, he says, after he's saved, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Ever felt that way? (laughs) All right? And then he says, what a wretched man I am. Who could ever save me from such ungodliness? That's the right response from Paul. It's pretty pathetic. And he says, but thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) But thanks. How about Peter? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. I will die for you first. Jesus is being beat, accused, all this stuff. Peter's going through on the outskirts. Three different times somebody comes up to him and said, weren't you with him? One time it's a young girl. Just imagine in your mind that this young girl was right there and maybe had received bread or food from Peter one time. She knew he was with Jesus. And she's trying to find a way to believe that there's hope in this horrible situation. And she says, you were with him, I remember. And he says, I never knew him. The rooster crows. The apostle Luke, I mean, Luke, not the apostle, just Luke, he looks at, he, he accounts the story, and he says that Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter saw him. They were in, seeing distance from one another, and Peter went out and wept, right? Jesus dies, buried, resurrects, comes back, sees Peter on a beach. He says, hey, let's talk. And he says, Peter, do you love me? says, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He goes, you know I love you, Jesus. Well, feed my sheep. He says a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, and it says he was hurt by this asking a third time, Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you, man. He said, feed my sheep. But then you know what he says right after that? As I imagine Peter sitting there going, man, I messed up. Jesus says these words, follow me. 
Had Peter ever heard those words before? At the very beginning of his journey, right? What was Jesus saying? Peter, I know you messed up, but I'm greater than the mess up. I'm still going to use you, and he used him mightily. Sin is never justifiable. Sin is never okay. Sin is never God's desire. Sin is never God's plan. Sin is wrong. It separates us from God, and there is nothing that you or I can do to reinstate ourselves by our own will, our own strength. We must trust trust his hope and his grace, and we must trust that his grace is greater than. But the guilt, the guilt is so crippling at times, isn't it? And not only is the guilt crippling, the outsiders look in, use the guilt to imprison you inside of your worthlessness. But Romans chapter 8 says, therefore there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, for anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There is hope, my friends. I feel so unworthy. I really don't deserve to be forgiven. I am a stinking, awful failure But I'm not going to slap God in the face by saying your grace isn't greater than that. I will not spit on the cross of Jesus Christ by not saying that his grace can still recover what is his. It is why he died. He is the only one who can restore his... Restore you, and his sacrifice is able to forgive you and your failure. It's able to redeem you and your repast. It's able to use you for his will for your life. That's the problem I see with us Christians many times, is that we may forgive and receive grace, but we don't live in it. We continue to feel bad and have shame for what we've done in the past. Instead of living in the comfort and, and freedom of grace, we sulk in the, in the cycle of failure. You ever found yourself there? God's forgiven you. God wants you to move on. You're like, oh. Some of this is on us as the church. As a church, we hold stuff over people. Well, you didn't do this, so you're not worthy too. Jesus is like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? I removed that sin. When I look at that person, they're free. That's my child. Jesus came to set us free, not just from sin, but also from the guilt that comes with the sin. If you'll choose to repent, if you'll choose to say, I got nothing. I can't live like this. I screwed it up. Is there any way? Jesus says, well, actually there is. (laughs) There is a way. What do I do? Well, it's actually what I did. It's actually what I've done. The band's going to start coming up. I'm going to finish off with a story. (laughs) Guy, a pastor named Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler, actually, you guys are A29 Church. Matt Chandler is is the guy that kind of helps lead that movement. Great guy, um, godly man, love him, love his preaching. He tells a story, maybe you've heard it before, but the story is of a call, when he was in college and he and some friends met a single mom that was really struggling. This, is, this mom had a rough past and she, and she lived and she just lived in that, in that misery. And so they invited her to come to this concert and the guy that got up to, to talk to the concert, he gets up there and he was angry. Man, he was just an angry dude. And he starts yelling and screaming at them about sex and how bad sex is and sexual sin and how bad it is. And he talks about STDs and sex and sex and sex. And he picks up a rose. He says, everyone look at the rose. It's such a beautiful rose, a perfect, nice rose. And he throws it into the crowd. He said, pass the rose around. Pass the rose around and I want you to feel it. I want you to see it. I want you to touch it. I want you to smell it. I want you to enjoy it. And he talked about sex some more. Then he asked for the rose back. And he grabs the rose and it's kind of broken and wilted and dirty and nasty. And it's droopy. He says, look at it. It's disgusting. It's been passed around. Who would ever want a rose like this? And he starts going into it. He's like, it's the same way with all you guys that are are in sex and doing this stuff. You're pathetic. And he just starts hounding on them. And Matt says, with everything he could, 
He doesn't know why he just didn't stand up because he looks over at Rose, who is just this, this woman, and she is just weeping and weeping and realizing that she is nothing. And he says, I don't know why I didn't. Why didn't I have the strength to stand up and said, I know who wants that rose. Jesus wants that rose. And I'm telling you, my friends, he wants you. With all your garbage, with all your waste, with all your failure, with all your stupidity, with all of your struggles, with all of your secrets, with all of your guilt, with all of your sin, with all of you. He says, I choose you. Not because you're good enough. Because my grace is greater than. That, my friends, is a word for this. It's called grace. It's not just for me. It's for you. Brandon and I are going to be up here. We're going to be up here for you if you need to cry, if you need to pray, if you need to talk. Whatever you need. I don't care what it is. The band here is they're going to they're going to sing Funky Town. And um, we're going to worship God together. Okay? Let me pray and then we'll go right into singing. God, I love you. And I pray what's heard today is not a message of, of, of discouragement, but a message of hope. That through my, through my story that is awful, that they won't see anything that we're justified by in and of ourselves. But for some reason, God would even choose a sinner like me and can choose them too. And I pray, God, that they would surrender their life to your hope and be made new today, then they may go out and share with another that's wanting to give up on life. You, God, you are great. You are famous. You are the hero in the story. And we give your name all praise and glory and admiration. Amen. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.